Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret's just-arrived collection of swim and other sun-ready silhouettes. Pack your bags with new styles from the Very Sexy Collection, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy push-up bra, in on-trend hues like green and citron and black shine. Rewind to the future with the VS Archives Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. Plus, mix and match with their wide range of bikini tops and bottoms to find your dream suit. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Don't forget to pack the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies for a post-lunch pick-me-up. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Welcome to Katie's Crib, a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. A lot of people that we are who are our ancestors, it turns out if you go seven generations back, we don't actually share significant DNA. It's all going to be fine. Yeah. Right. It's all going to be fine. Love is what makes our family. Love is what makes these relationships. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Katie's Crib. It is Pride Month. Woot, woot. Happy Pride to everybody. And in honor of Pride Month, I am so psyched to share this episode with you. I learned so much in this episode. We are digging deep into the fertility industry with the one and only Jennifer Burney. She goes by Jen with two N's. She is an essayist. She's an author of the book, The Other Mothers, which is a memoir that explores queer family building and the patriarchal roots of the fertility industry, which I knew very little about. We touched on it a a good amount, but not enough in the Rebecca Henderson, Leslie Headland episode. And Jen really helps me understand a lot more. Her essays have appeared in the New York Times, the Washington Post, Long Reads, Romper, many other publications. And in this episode, we are talking a ton about patriarchal ideals, male infertility, finding a donor that turned into an extended family. Jen's made a home in Olympia. I really want to go there. Where she lives with her partner, Kelly, her two sons, her dogs, her chickens, and a cow named Molasses. Welcome to Katie's Crib, Jen, and happy Happy Pride, everybody. So you mentioned in your book in the beginning about um, 
you know, the younger Jen, the younger version of you discovering herself and her identity. And personally, I believe that the younger Jen with two N's would be very happy to know that the grown-up Jen is kicking ass and taking names. (laughs) Thank you, Katie. Um, This is great. Okay. I mean, there's so much to cover. I don't even know where to start, but maybe let's start personally. Did you know you always wanted to be a mom? I did. I begged my parents to have a kid. I I didn't get my little brother until I was seven years old, which in some ways was great because by then I just desperately wanted a sibling. And I was really maternal with my younger brother once he was born. And I think, you know, connected that to always imagining having kids of my own. And so your partner, Kelly, um, When you guys got together, was it always obvious that parenthood was in the cards? How did these conversations, what did they sound like? I think the funny thing was, I was so clear that I wanted kids. And we both felt really clear about wanting to be together. And so I think I treated it as a settled issue. (laughs) I had been so transparent about wanting kids and we wound up committing to each other. Uh, This was before uh, gay marriage was legally recognized, Mm -hmm. but we still made that kind of commitment and then started having those conversations. And I think for me, that's when I realized that as a lesbian, things were going to be more complicated than I had imagined. I really, really felt like if we could just let things happen naturally, biologically, that it wouldn't have been such an ongoing conversation. Like we we would have just let that progress. But because we had to be really deliberate about it, it, it was a pretty exhaustive process. There are so many patriarchal ideals when we're bringing a child into the world. Your book really touches on this stuff about what makes a real parent to a genius sperm. And then we, you were talking about the flower pot theory. There's a lot. There's a lot. There's a lot <laughs> back here. Can you take me through what is a real parent, for example? Yeah. Well, I, this, the original idea behind reproduction before people really knew how things worked scientifically, mm-hmm. the idea was that this is insane to me. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> that the sperm was the essentially the child and the woman was like the flower pot. So she just nurtured what the man had implanted in her. Of course, this is what it of course this is what was thought. Of course. <laughs> right. The sperm is the person, it's everything, and the women are just like, you know. The flower right. pot. We're the, we're the vessel and the right. caretaker. Right. And, and even thinking through like our conception of the roles of mother and father, to me, it's, it's really telling. The father's job is done once because he's, he's not the caretaker. His job was to implant the sperm inside the woman. And the woman's job is for life, you know, beginning with the sperm being introduced into her body. For life, she's then the caretaker of that being. So fatherhood's pretty simple. Everything else is bonus after that in that original conception of parenthood. Right. Now you and Kelly are walking into sperm banks, let's say, you know, and you are walking into this system. Can you tell me how it was for you to find a sperm donor? What was the what was the experience like? Yeah, well, I let's see. So I'll talk about sperm donation from a couple of angles because we wound up trying different things. Yes. 
Um, but we originally were trying to get pregnant through donor sperm, mm-hmm. through a sperm bank. And I, I went into that process pretty naive, I think. I mean, I really, you know, I've researched the fertility industry in writing this book, but as I was navigating this stuff as a lesbian, I thought it would be fine. And I thought to some extent it had been designed for me. I feel similarly to you. Like, I just feel like, no, 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 I'm a person who wants sperm. And obviously I need sperm because I'm a lesbian, you know, and I want to have a baby. So yeah, they're just going to give it to me. It's going to be fine. Record scratch. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I had no idea there was a whole history of lesbians being denied care. Like this system was specifically not designed for us to navigate. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, it's, it's caught up to a degree, right? It's, it's open to me now. I'm not being deliberately excluded from this system. Mm-hmm. I, the other thing is that I went in as a consumer. So I went in, I need sperm. This seems like the easiest way to find sperm. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't necessarily motivated to think through um, some of the ethical considerations about it or to research the industry and the way they were self-regulating or failing to self-regulate. Mm. So it, it, it's a pretty interesting process. I know right, right from the start, I just had a bad feeling about some of the um, larger corporate sperm banks. Mm-hmm. Um, it turns out there's only one not-for-profit sperm bank in the U.S., that's the Sperm Bank of California. Mm. <laughs> um, and they tend to be a better about just self-regulating and holding themselves to different certain standards, like limiting the number of families who can conceive via one man's donation. Wow. How? I mean, so it is a business. This is business for profit that we are talking about here. So when you first went, did you go by yourself? Did you go with Kelly? What was the experience like? Did you, I know that you walked in naive, ready to go. And what was your first time realizing, oh, this isn't, that's not how this is going to go. My first time, um, the the scene is that Kelly, Kelly always wanted to use a known donor from our community. I love this. We have to talk about this later. I love this. Yes, she wanted <laughs> and, to use a known donor. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, that's so complicated, but fine. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's try. Let, sure. I'll humor you. And sure. that was really the attitude I was going into it with was I will humor you. <laughs> and so that didn't go so well our first time around. We, you know, we had a few people that we thought might be up for it, but those conversations are really understandably hard. Hard yeah. to you know ask someone in your community to consider helping you out in that way. Mm-hmm. So we didn't come to a decision per se that we were gonna shift courses, but I started or getting catalogs from sperm banks. Mm-hmm. And then I was surprised to see my own hesitation once those catalogs arrived. Interesting. So f- for me, the first moment was the the photos that they had in the catalog confused me because I didn't know they were pictures of these young men with backpacks on. And I was like, are these the grown up kids? And ah! <laughs> Kelly said to me, no, those are representing the donors. Oh my And God. I was kind of like, I don't want to do that. I, um, I'm not thinking about a donor as being like, a I, you know, I don't know what the, how young a donor could possibly be. Maybe they have to be 21, but they looked like 18 year olds in the picture. Oh my God. And I was thinking, I'm not comfortable with that. 
So I did wind up finding a sperm bank and visiting it. Uh, I was on a trip in San Francisco with my mother. Uh And at that time, this sperm bank doesn't exist in this forum anymore, but it was a lesbian owned sperm bank. And they told me they recruited their donors from Craigslist, which would maybe make a lot of people nervous, but it really put me (laughs) at ease feeling like it wasn't just college students who were desperate for, for the money. money. Oh my God. I, I don't know. <laughs> no, it made <laughs> you feel better. A... It made you feel a little bit more like, oh, maybe this person is older. <laughs> and... Right. You know, I, their catalog was interesting to me. There were electricians, there were engineers, right. there right. Were, it felt like people who were more established and maybe had had a little more time to, to think through the idea of what it would mean to be a donor. So I know this isn't what you ended up doing, but the donor, I've heard from friends of mine, like what the donor application looks like. Like you can literally choose race, age, education, you know, who their celebrity lookalike would be. Right. (laughs) Yes. We're talking about this before we started recording, guys, but the other episode we did with two of my best friends, Rebecca Henderson and Leslie Headland. I think I think Leslie and Rebecca even said this, but like one time they were like this. Th- you could choose a guy that looks he said he's sort of like a Jason Sudeikis type. You know what I mean? And it's like, <laughs> yes. holy crap, it's really wild and bizarre. How do you know that that, that a donor sperm would even be telling the truth? You know, I I think the issue is (laughs) that you don't. And it was a a point of contention between Kelly and me initially when we were deciding whether or not to use a sperm bank. You know, she really had this view of they can put anything on that application. You don't know. And I I was sort of like, no, I'm sure it's fine. They're vetted. And I I think the the reality is that in most cases, you know, there is some level of vetting that happens and, mm-hmm. and people tend to be who they say they are. And there's this accountability piece of people, you know, to be a donor, you actually have to be in it for the pretty long haul. You're showing up very regularly at the clinic. Mm-hmm. People get, you know, the people at the clinic get to know the donors Mm-hmm. Uh, to some extent, but there definitely have been some high profile cases of donors who have been deceptive. Um, and that's come to light in different ways or, or sperm banks who have been reckless. Um, and another piece of it is that I think, um, especially right now during pandemic, I think there's been an issue. Um, but it's, it's a broader problem. It's just intensified in pandemic. It's hard to recruit and retain donors. So there's a really high demand for, for sperm and that can create some issues. Wow. What a whole interesting thing. And I know I was talking about like what you look like, but I'm sure there's also just so much in terms of what runs in your family, you know, like, is there high blood pressure? Is there cancer? Is there diabetes? Is there all of these things have to be filled out? And I'm sure there's a ton of paperwork, a ton. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting to me, and I think about this in connection to sperm donation, um, you know, it's been 12 years since we conceived our, our first kid. Mm -hmm. And because we know our donor, we kind of know how his health is. And, you know, there are things you wind up knowing about somebody when they're in their forties about their health and their history that you wouldn't have known about in their twenties or thirties. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
That brings me back to those pictures of those 18-year-olds with backpacks. (laughs) (laughs) Wild. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with just-arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like Black Shine, Green, and Citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. And now, in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited-edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep expert. <sighs> Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Can you talk to us about the geneticist Graham Coop's research on genetics is not genealogy? Yeah, this was one thing that was really surprising to me. For years, I'd been thinking through what Kelly's relationship as the non-genetic parent of my kids 
I think about this a lot too. My friends, Rebecca and Leslie, they're in process of figuring out how they're going to get pregnant and who is going to carry and which egg is going to be used. And I always think about, oh, what does the person feel like who it's not their egg or not their body and, and things like that? Yeah, I mean, it's I, it's another way that I feel like I went into the process a little naive because I just wanted to think it's fine. That's going to be something we think through something that maybe we talk about and mm-hmm. consider, mm-hmm. but in the end, it's all going to be fine. What, yeah. Right. It's all right. going to be fine. Love right. is what makes our family. Right. Love is what makes these relationships. Right. And I, I guess I would say, you know, now I've been a parent for 12 years. And the thing is that our, our culture puts so much value on these genetic connections mm-hmm. and that they're also interesting. It's interesting to like, you know, now, genetic testing is a thing. And I think we have this cultural interest in like meeting people we didn't grow up with, but who we're genetically connected to. Mm -hmm. So it's not, that's a real connection too, that I don't want to dismiss. Yeah. Anyways, um, (laughs) Dr. Koop put forward that a lot of people that we are, who are our ancestors, it turns out if you go seven generations back, we don't actually share significant DNA with them. Isn't so for that, me, that was like a really interesting... So it's so fascinating. It's yeah. Really it's, fascinating. It, if you think through that, it's like those people are still your ancestors. They're, they're part of your legacy. They're part of who you are. Mm-hmm. And yet they're not, your, they're not actually your genetic relatives, mm-hmm. um, which to me was sort of a puzzle piece in right. thinking through these relationships. And how did Kelly, how did you and Kelly talk about this stuff? in a lot of ways, we didn't talk about it. Mm. Uh, and I'm, I'm guessing that's pretty common. I, I think we talked about it the most going into it, just in terms of sorting through the options. And really, it was our, our dream going into it was to find a way to have a child that would be genetic, genetic, genetically related to both of us. Yes. But that didn't turn out to be easy or possible. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think a lot of it is, is unspoken. It's just this presence. We both know, mm-hmm. I think in some degrees, maybe more than our children are really aware of it. Oh, I bet. I, I, I would, yeah, I would definitely feel that because what they know is what they know. Um, in your book a lot, you talk about the experiences, how, um, how people acted all different types of ways around you guys. Like they didn't take you seriously or they acted surprised or weird. I would love to hear about some of those experiences. Do you mean when we were trying to conceive? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I feel like the first moment I knew we were in trouble was when we showed up at the fertility clinic in our very progressive small city. Um, and I went into this fertility clinic again, there's my naivete again, like mm-hmm. they're, they're going to be fine. They're going to have worked with so many queer couples of course, and maybe there will be a little weirdness here and there, but overall it'll be fine. Mm-hmm. And then the first thing that was said to us was the the first doctor we met with looked at us and said, is this your mother about Kelly? And just to be clear, Kelly is not old enough to be my mother. (laughs) And that just did not 
get yeah. things off to on the right, the right foot. foot. The the same day with our meeting with the second doctor, and this is common. This would happen uh, almost anywhere. Like this is just the way things work. But we were diagnosed with male factor infertility. It suggests that we have a man in the picture who does not produce adequate sperm. So either he does not Mm. produce sperm or he does not produce enough sperm to get me pregnant, which is substantially different from from the reality, which is simply that there's just not a man there or, or, you know, anyone in a body who produces sperm. Um, That's a label that gets slapped on, for instance, single women who who are trying to conceive with donors. Can you fucking believe it? I mean, my jaw dropped on the ground. I mean, that is insane. It. I think it says a lot about the model that the industry is working with, which is sort of putting a diagnosis on something that's not an illness. An illness, right. It's not, right, right, right. It was, we needed sperm. That's the diagnosis. Talk to me about your fertilization process. Well, we just, um, we did finally choose a donor Mm -hmm. from from a catalog. Mm -hmm. And we went with someone who would be willing to be known, like have their identity revealed once the child turned 18. But we just had a terrible time conceiving. And it didn't, it didn't help things that this clinic that we were using, um, they just, they were interested in, I guess, doing the inseminations, but they weren't curious about why I was having trouble. Even when I asked, no one ever suggested running a test on me. And some of that, again, goes back to this model um, because I wasn't a straight person who had already been trying to conceive for 12 months. I know they love their numbers. They love their numbers and their facts (laughs) of just like, just, well, you just try for 12 months with your male partner. And if that doesn't work, then we go through X, Y, and Z. But if there's anything that that doesn't fit into that, they don't know what to do. Right. Or they don't. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So what I wound up doing is just sort of quitting in desperation after over a year of trying to get pregnant that way. Mm. I met with multiple doctors. None of them really seemed super interested or eager to help me because they couldn't check that box of has been trying to conceive for 12 months. Um, and I wound up, I had a miscarriage is, is part of what happened. It was a really early miscarriage. So I hadn't even known that I was pregnant. Um, but I just sort of had this moment of, I still desperately want to have a kid and I don't want to do this anymore. I just don't, I don't want to visit these people. (laughs) I don't, I don't like them. Like there's just gotta be a different way to do this. Mm -hmm. And it was the first time I'm sure a lot of your listeners will relate to like just how brutal it is to be caught in that cycle of trying to conceive and waiting. It's just so all consuming. And so the whole thing had been emotional for me. It had been fraught. I was okay for once with just not knowing. It just felt like the right decision in that moment. And I was, I calmed down for the first time in two years, I would say. You just let go. You surrendered. You were just like, I cannot. This is like pushing a boulder uphill. Yeah, exactly. It just was like, this is true. I'm just... 
this isn't working. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we took a break and I was, again, for the first time I was okay with being on a break from it. Mm-hmm. And that's when our donor and his partner entered our life in this really <laughs> surprising way. Take us through that. So that was kind of what the decision wound up being was maybe this time, somehow we will find a community donor Mm -hmm. and maybe by some miracle, I'll get pregnant. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Who knows? Mm -hmm. And we weren't really aggressively looking. I had a close friend who said, you know, I would be willing to talk to my husband about this. And we were like, okay, but for whatever reason, we didn't feel desperate. We were just like, okay, we'll let that simmer for a minute. Mm -hmm. And then we had this close friend of ours who one day said, what about Daniel? And we both just lit up. So this was a person who we had met a couple of times. Kelly really liked him, even though we didn't know him very well. And they had a lot in common. Mm. They had the same vibe to them. And that was always something we wanted. Mm-hmm. I am so cerebral. <laughs> and <laughs> <laughs> not. And that's part of why we work really well together. Mm-hmm. She's, she's more of a doer. Mm-hmm. So we were always wanting to capture that somehow in our donor. That's just as a funny thing. So many people are obsessed with having a donor with with a big college education, and you were like, "We want a woodworker. We want (laughs) the marketing really missed us because I was like, I want an electrician." Yeah. So this idea that we would ask Daniel, um, both of us were just immediately on board. And it was the kind of thing where probably we had never thought of him just because he wasn't close enough in our circle, circle for uh-huh. to either even can, you know, mm-hmm. come up as an option. Mm-hmm. But um, our friend said, why don't I call? I'll call him. And amazing. she called him that night and called us the next day. And, and the other piece was his partner, mm-hmm. you know, that that's obviously a piece in there. If somebody can be interested, but if their partner is not into it, it's already stopped. Yeah. 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 So she said they want to come over for dinner and talk to you about it. It just was pretty smooth from there. And I, you know, I kept being hesitant that something would fall through. Yeah. You're like, when's the other shoe going to drop? Of course. Yeah. My approach was like, they left the dinner ready saying, yeah, we'll do it. We're happy to do it. And I said, you can tell me that in in two weeks. Right. (laughs) You were like, you have to sleep on it. Like you have to sleep on it. Not only did they agree to do it, but when when the moment came, they yep. did it. So we were switching from this medical model mm-hmm. to the DIY model. Amazing. Which I, <laughs> I might clarify does not involve turkey basters. It does not <laughs> involve turkey basters, people. You heard it here. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but but not too far off. We use a, a jar <laughs> and a needleless syringe. And just we do it the way one would think you would do it. Kelly would go across town to pick up the donation. She would keep it warm by putting it under her shirt while she drove home. And um, my my older brother once said to me, I can't believe that even works. It works. Like, like, of course it works. Why wouldn't it work? Yeah, right. It wasn't instant. It took five months. But um, those five months were such a different five months for me than 
how it felt before to be going in to this clinic that just wasn't super excited to be serving me. Right, right. I almost feel like fate, if you believe in some sort of higher something or... I don't even know. I mean, it it literally fell in your lap. And by lap, I mean into a jar, into a syringe, into, <laughs> but, but people yes. that you knew, not in your close, close circle, but in your community. Let's talk about the history of lesbian DIY conception. How does that come about? Tell me. Okay. Well, I, as Kelly and I were trying to conceive, Kelly would tell me <laughs> our friend who's a little older than us, had a, had a child as a single lesbian mom generation before us. And Kelly was always saying, you know, when she did it, there was this underground network. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this sounded like the awesomest, sexiest thing to me. I was sort of like, I wish we could do it this way. And I think this was pretty re- widespread. Although the people I interviewed for the book were mainly Seattle and Olympia based. So that's the network that I got to learn about. And it's just, it was so simple and straightforward, but also I think brilliant. There was just this procedure where if you were a single person or a lesbian couple who wanted to conceive, you would find what they called a go-between, which is sort of like our friends hitting up her friend to be our donor. Mm -hmm. But basically you're entrusting that person to find a donor for you. And normally in the system, that donor would remain anonymous. Right. It was sort of both. They were a community donor, but you also didn't know who they were. And they would gather some information. I guess there was paperwork, which is a little bit funny to me because I heard lots of stories about paperwork getting lost. Oh, amazing. Um, Right, right. But the idea was that they would not be permanently anonymous, but a lot like, you know, what sperm banks have set up now, just a system where when your kid comes of age, they could decide to contact this person. So yeah, the go-between would just go, you know, would just ask people until they got a yes. And then the go-between would also be the one to pick up the The donation Mm -hmm. and deliver it to the person getting pregnant. Unreal. So, so, so cool. I've, I've heard of similar things like that in New York. I know someone it was a a man and woman, but they were having issues and it was in the time where they would take the, you know, the, the dad would lie and say it was their kid and, you know, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's so much interesting history there. You know, people using that system at the time, I mean, sperm banks existed, but this is when lesbians were not allowed part, being actively excluded. Explain that too. They were, when did that change? I think it gradually changed um, in the 90s when gradually lesbians were more woven into the system. And I think something one person I interviewed told me was that a lot of it was just this financial incentive as um, the fertility industry evolved. They had better ways of treating actual male factor infertility. (laughs) So the sperm eggs themselves were getting less business. There was suddenly, um, yeah, just more of a motivator to broaden the pool. Interesting. Interesting. I think about my friends, Rebecca and Leslie, and it's, they've 
had conversations with people that could be in their circle, things like that. But people who are in the LGBTQ plus world, like if they've exhausted all DIY options and it's only the medical clinic situation, I mean, do you think because it was 12 years ago, hopefully it's better now? I don't know. I mean, obviously it depends so much on where you live and... Right. I, I think there are a couple things there. I think I always could have accessed care that was designed specifically for me. Mm. And the thing is that I didn't know I was going to need that. My assumption was we're far enough along that people should be prepared for me. Mm. And it really took, (laughs) it took years and hindsight for me to realize the extent to which that was not true at every turn. It was proven to me that that was not the case. Mm -hmm. I, I interviewed a, a midwife who specializes in LGBTQ plus care for this book. And I yes. asked them what they thought. And they said, it's not really different now. People still get slapped with a male infertility diagnosis. The problems you're describing are still really widespread. So I don't know that there's been much evolution in the mainstream industry But I do think that people have more options if you were going to look for care specific to the LGBTQ community. I think that that's evolved. Mm. You had said before that Kelly, it was important to Kelly that the donor be known. And obviously that's what ended up happening to you guys. Why would people want a known donor versus a unknown donor? Yeah, I I fully understand why somebody would want an unknown donor, you know, just as a way of having that distance. I think I came into it with this perspective of not necessarily wanting to have to negotiate those relationships. I think a lot of people choose, you know, go the sperm bank route, um, not just because they couldn't find someone in their community, but also to preserve the sanctity of their family, which I... 100% understand. Mm -hmm. So I think for a lot of people, that's a good decision. Mm -hmm. I think it was important to Kelly. She's just so community oriented, which is one of the reasons I'm drawn to her. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think it just felt uncomfortable to her, this idea of not knowing where where this product, where this genetic material was coming from. I mm-hmm. think she was nervous about the whole thing. And so she wanted to feel connection. Mm-hmm. And that, I, I think it turned out a lot better for her mm-hmm. that we wound up conceiving the way we did. Having a partner legally become a parent is difficult. I mean, again, this is something that we take so for granted. Tell us the difficulties that you and Kelly had to go through in order to make Kelly the second parent. Yeah, most people are surprised about this, Mm -hmm. that it's still, even in this day where gay marriage is federally recognized, Mm -hmm. it's still basically unanimously recommended by all advocacy groups that we go through the process of a second parent adoption. And it it wasn't challenging in the sense that anyone was going to stand in our way of doing that. It was just challenging in, you know, like any time you have to pay to see a lawyer, it was really time consuming. And it wound up being this expense that I hadn't really counted on 
in the planning. I think I had known, well, we'll have to jump through that hoop. And maybe I thought it would cost a couple thousand dollars. It wound up costing closer to $10,000. And it was, it just felt like this extra thing. You know, there are ways to cut that cost that I just didn't, that's not my strength. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. It's a lot of paperwork and a lot of legalese, I'm sure. And I'm sure you're just like, can I just pay someone who this is what they do to make sure that this is all done once and done correctly and squared away? Yes. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with just-arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like Black Shine, Green, and Citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. And now, in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited-edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep expert. (sighs) Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. I want to hear how you've kept the open door between the donor family, uh, which was an important thing we were talking about with Kelly. How has that been in your kids and your family's life? 
Yeah. Well, a few things that happened that I I think have worked out really nicely for us. One was, (laughs) so I think it was the, the day that we met for dinner and we were talking about them becoming our donors. Uh, Daniel's partner, Rebecca, Uh, I think Kelly warned them, you know, just be careful. You might get pregnant. Like there's something about the, the energy of doing this, Mm. you know, you guys could wind up being pregnant too. And Rebecca said, well, I sincerely hope it's you first. Um, (laughs) And what happened was it actually unfolded exactly that way. They wound up um, becoming pregnant six months after I was pregnant. So we incredible. It was, and it was just so exciting. It was great for me to just think about that we would now get to have this sort of extended family. They wound up moving a few hours away from us, which has actually added to that extended family feeling. The vibe, right. It's not like an everyday Sunday dinner situation, but it's there. Right, right. I mean, that would probably be really fun too if we all lived in the same town together. But it's, you know, it feels more, I think it feels like cousins uh, for my kids. So what, what wound up happening too was that when they were having a second Uh, we just decided we'd all go in on that together. And we had our second child at the same time. It's so wonderful. It's so, so wonderful. And um, how did you tell your kids? What do those conversations look like? Yeah, I'm I'm not 100% sure with my first son. I think... I think I made a point of just being clear with him. And, you know, when you have two moms, yeah, it's pretty like your kid's never gonna, <laughs> as they grow up and understand reproduction, there's, right. there's no danger of them thinking they weren't donor conceived. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I, I think I, I, I was careful to talk to him about it. Although for whatever reason, I hadn't disclosed who the donor was until his brother was born. Mm -hmm. His brother was less than a year old when it came up. And I don't even know that he was asking me directly. I think I just decided it was time for him to know who his donor was. And I I had him guess. And he was... (laughs) He just wound up guessing all these people in our circle, no matter whether they were men or women or non-binary or what. I thought that was so cute. Right. (laughs) Um, And then I told him who it was. He had really no reaction to the the information itself. But what he really wanted to know was if his brother was conceived with the same donor, Mm. which I just thought was, was super sweet that he was more preoccupied with wanting to share that feature of his identity with someone. Sure, sure. So incredible. I have a a really good friend on Scandal who um, she and her wife had uh, donor sperm and open DIY situation Mm -hmm. and, and they donated to another family and they're really close and their kids look the same. The kids really feel like you say, cousins, like they have a connection. It's just there. Like, it's really amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Um, When you were telling your oldest who the donor was, how did you explain exactly, like, did you use the word donor, for example? Is that the word that's used? 
When my kids were younger, the language that I used was the person who helped us. And so the way I would explain reproduction to my kids, you know, would talk about sperm meeting egg and how often couples just get to do that on their own. <laughs> but that some couples like me and Kelly and plenty of other couples, we needed help. And so eventually we built up to you know, do you want to know who the person who helped us was? And I, I think I held off on just being transparent about it immediately just because I didn't sense that my kid had the question yet. But I know it's the deeper I'm into this and the deeper I've researched donor conceived children and things like that. It, apparently, it's really important to be clear with, with kids as early as possible because I think it actually creates a trauma if they, grow up thinking one thing or assuming one thing about their story. Now that's what it really is. It's their origin story. And if they think one thing about it and then learn later in life that something totally different is true, that's that's a big emotional job for them to catch up. I agree. I completely agree. It's like being it's the facts and honest over the course of what we say, a bunch of one minute conversations, not like one big hundred minute conversation. And also using the developmentally appropriate language like you used, which was this was the person who helped us, you know, like that's great. Like that's something that they can understand at a younger age. What advice would you go back and tell yourself now? as far out as you are, what would you do differently? Or what would you prepare yourself better for our listeners who might be in the midst of something like this? Yeah, well, really, I wouldn't do anything differently, just because I'm happy with the results. And I don't want to, I don't want to time travel and tinker with things. But <laughs> um, the advice I would give just <laughs> on principle, I wish I had that first time that Kelly and I visited the clinic. I wish that I had enough self-care impulse at that moment to say, this isn't going to be good for either of us. Like, let's let's look around for some other options or at least a different clinic mm -hmm. that feels more set up to serve us. Mm -hmm you shouldn't be met with every appointment met with anything other than support and love and openness and how we help. I hope that people are getting that now. Oh God. And if they're not, like you say, your advice, just walk out. Bye-bye. <laughs> yeah. I honestly think, tell me if you agree. I think we've got a low bar for our care uh, as you know, our fertility care. In our country, fertility, it's all a triple threat of shit show. It's not yeah. good. It's, we have a very, very low bar and I don't know why we're used to being treated poorly or just feeling like, oh, I'm not allowed to really seek better and just right. accepting for what it is. I don't know. Yeah. I think we treat good care as the exception. We so I really think that's do. part of why I didn't move on earlier is the kind of care I was getting just really fit in pretty well with, you know, the kind of care I was used to getting. Is there anything else that you want to leave us with? Anything else comes to mind for people who are listening in the LGBTQ plus community looking to get pregnant? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I guess a couple things come to mind. And one is, I just think it's a really complex landscape. And I would just want to validate for people that it does take time to find the right route and the right path. And I would never want to come across as advocating my own path that I went on as the path. I think there are lots of Mm -hmm. great answers to to these questions. And I think it's just about feeling through what's going to work for your family to build your family. Mm -hmm. Um, And the other thing is just, I think those patriarchal roots really affect anyone who navigates the industry. In some ways, it was more obvious to me as a lesbian trying to to navigate it. But what, since publishing the book, you know, I hear from women all the time about the bad care that they've received. And I just think we can do better. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Answer this question. Parenthood is. (laughs) Oh boy. (laughs) So much more than I ever expected it to be. You know what? The thing I always think of with that is one time when my kid was like three years old, we were having some super cute bedtime conversation. And I was saying something about how I remembered him as a baby. And I can't, I can't believe that he was ever so little. And he just turned to me and said, I came here to destroy you. (laughs) I love it. And he was right. (laughs) Yeah, a friend of mine pointed out, like, that is what parenthood is. It is. Your whole world gets totally turned upside down. Turned upside down for all the great things. Ripped apart, put back together. Right. Multiple times a day. The best kind of destruction. Because you can't grow or change or shift or learn without breaking it all down, you know, which is so, which really brings me back to your book. I mean, it was really talking about these old systems and patriarchal ideas that I never thought about with the fertility industry and being a same-sex couple trying to have a baby and all of these things that I've taken for granted. And I'm just so glad your book exists and that you did all of the research and the work and went through all of your personal experiences and shared it with us and came on Katie's Crib to share it with a new audience. And I want everyone to go and get the book. Again, it's called The Other Mother's Thank you so much, Jen Bernie. Thank you, Katie. Thank you guys so much for listening to the episode. I learned so much. I hope you guys did too. And for more, I love the book so much. Go out and get Jen Bernie's book, The Other Mothers. It is well worth the read. And happy Pride Month, you all. I love you. Share, subscribe, tell your friends. And also, if you have ideas, thoughts, questions, comments, you can always find me at Katie's Crib at Shondaland.com. Katie's Crib is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought 
in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula. Berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite. With just two capsules a day, Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat and support your weight management journey. And right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com. The lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.